0: Well, good morning, New Hope. Glad that you're here this morning in Bram. My name is Bill Berg. I'm the lead pastor at New Hope Community Church, if we haven't met yet. So last week, we kicked off this new series called Under the Sun, where we have Solomon, who is known as one of the wisest and wealthiest men to ever live, brings us then his experiences in life. And we looked at chapter one, just the first three verses last week and how Solomon, like most of us in the room or all of us really in life, was a searcher. He was searching for something. There was a void in his heart. And then he was a student. He went out and he experienced much. And he was also a skeptic on what he was experiencing And so today we are going to be looking at chapter two. And last week we looked at the whole idea of, in this series called Under the Sun, and how Solomon at the end of his life recognized that he got sunburnt, that he was burned by what he experienced under the sun. And I want to talk to you this morning about the whole idea of sunblock, right, because Daily, whether you realize it or not, every day you have two main goals. Every day when you roll out of bed, your first goal is to pursue pleasure. You want pleasure, right? So when you even decide on what coffee you're going to drink or what breakfast bar or what breakfast you're going to have, you're choosing that because you want pleasure, right? Nobody chooses something they don't like. For breakfast, right? Oh, I guess I'll eat it, even though I just can't stand it. Allergic to it, but I'll have it anyway. You know, no. I mean, when you get in your car, if you're a commuter, you're like, okay, what's the commute today? Because it's slow, you know snowing lightly and all that. And you're trying to decide, how am I going to get to work with the least amount of pain, right? And pleasure. And every day we roll out of bed, we seek pleasure and we try to decrease our pain. And that was Solomon's life as well. I mean, how do we attempt to get rid of pain and always increase our pleasure, right? Well, just if you refer to sunblock, when we go out in the sun, we put on cream, right? So that we don't get burnt up and we don't have pain. I mean, if you're a woman in the house and you've had a child, you know what an epidural is, right? Right? That is to decrease pain so that you can have pleasure in childbirth, right? Now, if you're an old guy like me, you understand what a cortisone shot is, right? Well, like, oh, my shoulder, my knee, and like, oh, I got to go in and get a cortisone shot because it takes care of the pain for a while in that area. A lot of us utilize Overdraft protection, right? For some reason a bill comes in we didn't recognize, or we just you know had too good a time on vacation and a we'll little overdraft, you know, the, the bank will protect us from getting fined. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, technology, buying stuff, exercise, food. We pursue those things. Because we want pleasure and we're trying in some way to minimize or decrease pain in our lives. Because there's something in us that is void and we're running after it. And for some reason, we don't believe that God has the answer or that He is enough. So, in our series in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, called under the sun, Solomon then in chapter two teaches us now about this pursuit of pleasure in order to keep pain from our lives. We read right away in chapter two, verse one, that he decides that he is going to give his life over to whatever he desires. He's going to give his life over to desires. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved as meaningless. Solomon decided, hey, listen, I am going to pursue two of life's philosophies. Two of life's philosophies. Number one, I am going to do it if it feels good, right? Hey, if it feels good, do it. That's a philosophy we live by on a day-to-day basis in reality. And maybe even if it doesn't feel good after doing it a while, I'm still going to do it if it feels good. I mean, that first enchilada, ooh, that felt good. The sixth enchilada, oh man, ooh, I'm going to pay, right? But if it feels good, do it. But the second philosophy that he lived by was this, life, is all about I. Life is all about I. Very interesting. In chapter two, I did the math. I counted up all the times he used I, 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 I. There's 26 verses in chapter two. He used the word I 27 times. So one per verse at least there. But then I counted up the word my or myself and that was another 28 times. So he believes that he is like the trinity me myself and i right i mean it's all about i all about me all about myself and if we're honest again when we roll out of bed probably 87.5% of our day is about me myself and i i mean if you probably add it all up it just is like hey what do i need what do i need what am i going to do you know i got to get that for myself or whatever it might be it's just the reality of it and so Solomon says, hey, I'm going to test this. I'm just going to dive in and it's going to be all about me, myself, and I. And so then we see in the rest of chapter 2 from verses 2 through 10, his diagnosis of diving in, his diagnosis of diving in. So first of all, he dove into pleasure. It says in chapter two, verse two and three. He dove into laughter, meaning, hey, he probably had comedians every night at his house, that kind of stuff. He dove into wine. He dove into folly, it says in verse two and three. You know, folly is this foolishness. It's like this reckless type of living. You know, I don't know if you've listened to country, I am only allowed to listen to country in my garage and that. So I got to go out to the garage to listen to country when I'm putzing on the car and stuff. But Old Dominion has the song, One Man Band, right? Where it says, hey, we'll get tattoos. We'll trash hotel rooms. You know, baby, take my hand. I want you to be my one man band, you know, that kind of thing. And it's this whole, hey, you know, recklessness, foolishness, let's go just trash hotel rooms. Who cares? It's just like, hey, whatever. It's all about me. You know, we're not even going to put logic to anything. I'm just going to dive all in. So he has this, first of all, he dives into pleasure, but he realizes, man, it's meaningless, chasing the wind. So then B, he he decides, well, I'm going to dive into projects. So we read in four through six that he builds houses, not a house, houses. He builds vineyards. He builds gardens. He builds parks. He builds fruit groves. He builds reservoirs which they've actually found today. I mean, you and I don't even do this stuff. I mean, when was the last time you built your own park? I mean, anybody, you know, I mean, no. I mean, he's doing all these things. So he's like, hey, pleasure didn't do it. So I'm just gonna start doing projects, start, you know, attaining through projects. But he comes up and he says, man, even that's meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. So then he moves to products accumulating products, stuff. We see in verse seven through 10 that he accumulates male and female slaves. And in that day, in that culture, people were products. If you were not a male, you were considered as a woman or a wife or a child or a male, female slave. You were a product. Your property in that culture. So he accumulates these male and female slaves, herds and flocks. And he says, man, I accumulate it more than anyone else around me, anyone else in Jerusalem. And he had this status going because of his herds and flocks. And even today, herds and flocks are status. I mean, you talk around here and that, well, hey, how many cattle do you got? How many acres do you have? I mean, around the world. I remember I was traveling in southern Ethiopia among the Borno tribe where they are herdsmen. And wealth and status there was how many sheep you had. That's what it was in reality. And he pursued that, you know, stuff. He said he pursued silver and gold. Matter of fact, Solomon was so sought after because of his position and his wisdom that other kings would give him silver and gold and stuff, and he would accumulate. It says he had male and female singers. I mean, he had entertainment, like the top entertainment every night. I mean, probably Justin Bieber and Megan Trainor, like every night. Hey, what's going tonight? What's going tonight? I mean, that's what it was. He didn't stop at anything, and he could have those two because he had all the wealth. He had the position. He had harems, you know, the delights that he says of a man's heart. I mean, Hugh Hefner, playboy, I mean, didn't even stand a chance to what Solomon had. And then he had position. So all of this, he, he pursued all this product. And in our heads, we're probably thinking, man, I mean, wouldn't that guy be satisfied? I mean, that's craziness, right? But yet if we really look at our lives, all we need to do is walk out to our garage Look at the things we haven't used for a year or two or three or like, what's in that box? I don't remember what's in that. You know, we'd still only not do it. I mean, you look at all the uh, uh, storage units that are being built. I mean, storage units weren't around actually like 20, 25 years ago. I don't know if you remember that. And we started with like one garage. Then we went to two garages. And now we go to three. Now we got four. But now we got storage units, right? All over the place. And sometimes people forget about them. And that, so we do this same thing. And that I, you know, Jay Leno, he used to be Tonight Show host In that, he's got 136 rare vehicles, cars, and then he's got 90 motorcycles, and that their net worth is like $50 million. And you're thinking... What's up with that? But I think it's just this picture of us where he probably bought the first one and it was like, ooh, this is really nice and that kind of stuff. But then it sort of wear off, didn't do it for him. So then he brought number two, right? And then he bought the first motorcycle, then the second motorcycle. Now he's up to 136. And when I was on his site, he just uh, purchased a, a new vehicle and that, why? Because the 136 prior just didn't stay. You know, the satisfaction didn't stay there. And that, and I'm not, I'm not down in Leno, man, because I got it in my life too. I mean, it's just, you know we all got something in there that's like, oh, that didn't satisfy. I'm going to try that, right? I like what uh, Doctor Paul Brand wrote when he wrote the book "Fearfully and Wonderfully Made." It's a book about he's a physician. He writes about the amazing structure of our body, like how amazing our body is. But in there, he has this little letter that I rewrote for today. It says this, Dear Lord, I have been rereading the record of the rich young ruler in the Bible in Mark chapter 10 and his obviously wrong choice not to follow Jesus. But it has set me to thinking, no matter how much wealth he had, he could not ride in a car, have any surgery. Turn on a light. He couldn't buy penicillin. Hear an electric guitar riff. Watch Netflix. Wash dishes in running water or even have a dishwasher wash the dishes for him. He couldn't send a letter. He couldn't mow the lawn. He couldn't fly to another country. He couldn't have a sleep number or talk on the phone. If he was rich, then what am I? I mean, if he was rich, then what am I? But yet we don't get it. Solomon says more than once in chapter two, he said, in all of this, in all of, you know, diving into this stuff, I still maintained my wisdom, but it tells us that his wisdom is limited. His wisdom is only wisdom under the sun, only what he can experience or understand in this world, under the sun. It's not ultimately God's wisdom. It's his own wisdom that he is pursuing. And so we read early on in chapter two that he pursues pleasure. He pursues all kinds of projects. He pursues product, just material stuff, material stuff all over the place, right? And it doesn't do it for him. It's meaningless, it says. So then he turns to D. He turns to philosophy, to learning. He says, I applied my mind to study and to explain and explore wisdom. And so he says, well, I'll get into philosophy. I'll get into thought. I'll get into learning. But he, it still doesn't satisfy. And so he moves there then to performance and becomes a workaholic he toiled and toiled and toiled and toiled. And he says, what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? His conclusion, all I toiled for is left for somebody else. Somebody else is just going to get it, you know? And I feel that, really not in a negative way, but... In the last couple of weeks, we just put our house in the name of all our kids. And we call them and said, honestly, really right now, like, you own the house. So I hope you're going to allow us to stay there till like, we're done, you know. <laughs> that, but we put it in your name. It's yours. And that, but then I'm thinking, man, you know, I just spent the last, you know, 20 years paying for the house. And then they get, I labored and toiled. I mean, that's Solomon's thinking, right? Man, I labored, I toiled and all this. And then they're like, hey, Sweet. We get the house on the lake. That's nice. Thanks, you know. And, and Psalm was like, hey, something's wrong with that. All this work, all this work. I'm right in the middle of this book, Marine Brown, Dare to Lead. And she talks about this workaholism and that and how we, it's an addiction that we pat people on the back for today. That we're like, oh yeah, that's good. Busy, you're busy, you're working. And this is what she says. Because this is, I'm high on the addiction scale, my personality and all that, and this is my issue, workaholism at times. But this is what she said. She says, as Stuart Brown says, the opposite of play is not work. The opposite of play is depression. <laughs> Put that over your sofa or in your office, right? The opposite of play is not work. The opposite of play is depression, right? Yeah because we're going at it, we're striving, we're toiling, we're striving, and we're thinking, hey, everybody, look at me, look at me. No one's like, hey, we're all fishing. We're not, who wants to look at that, you know? And you end up being discouraged, because you realize it doesn't fulfill. doesn't fulfill. So Solomon is diving into all these things. Pleasure, product, production, philosophy, performance. And then not in chapter 2, but if we go over to 1 Kings, he also then dives into a plethora of food, right? Which we do as well, this, this pleasure, right? In First Kings 4 22, 23, it says this Solomon's provision for one day for his meal, his feast, was 30 cores of fine flour, which is 10 bushels, and 60 cores of meal, grains, 10 fat oxen, 20 pastor fed cattle, grade A, I mind you, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, which is male deer, and fat and fowl, chickens, uh, ducks, pheasant, you name it. They estimated that every given day for his feast, he would entertain ten to 20,000 people a day where he would feed them. This guy was wealthy. He had it all. That would be like Bram, Cambridge, Isani, plus a couple other cities in Isani County put together and he would feed them daily. I mean, the guy distance like, I'll dabble a little bit here. No, that guy dove in. I mean, he went the whole nine yards, everything. But the reality is we're still pursuing it today as well. We're just, we're still thinking, oh, if I only had this, if I, if I only get there, once I get there, then I'll be satisfied. I want to show you just this brief clip of the reality. It's from the uh, documentary, the Minimalism, and it's just the first part of it. Let me show you this clip so the reality. So, I mean, you know, the thing we have, once the new thing comes out, now that you're dissatisfied, there's something wrong with it or, or whatever. And I just went into T-Mobile uh, two weeks ago because my uh, battery uh, just kept dying and my cable thing wasn't working and that. So it was just like, ah, oh, and I, my phone was delayed and getting me messages. So I'm like, all right, going to have to bite the bullet and go in and that, which I just like, because these phones today are like this. You can't, I have to buy new jeans just to get it in the pocket, you know, that kind of stuff. But I go in there and I got this little S5. It's pink because it was cheaper and that. And I'm like, I'm going to have a cover over it anyway. And this this young guy's in there. He's like, oh, look at this cute little thing. You know, oh, this little guy, you know, talking about the phone. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, I'm like, I don't care, right? But we do. I mean, it, the, the reality. And just like Solomon is pursuing, pursuing, pursuing. We pursue, we pursue, we pursue. and But yet he diagnoses it all for us. And what does he come to in the end? Towards the end of chapter two, he comes toward to despair. He throws all his desires into pursuing everything in life that everybody believes is going to satisfy. He diagnoses it for us. And then he ends up in despair. Ecclesiastes 2.11. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing. He didn't say, hey, some things. He said, nothing was gained under the sun. That word gain in the Hebrew means that which is left over. That which is left over. I like how one author said it. After we have sucked dry all the immediate delight, joy, or pleasure out of something, what is left over? What endures? What will remain to continually feed the hunger of this life for satisfaction? And Solomon tells us, man, I went the whole nine yards and nothing satisfied. It always ended up empty. There was nothing. He said, there's no there. There's no there. Once I got to my 15th house, I thought, oh, then I'll be happy. There's no there. There's no there. And so he ends with this deliberation. After he throws all his desires in, he diagnoses all his experiences, he comes to this despair, and here's his deliberation. Enjoyment is ultimately from God. It's from God. There's nothing in possessions, in material goods, in money. There's nothing in man or woman themselves that can enable them to keep enjoying the things they do. But it is possible to have enjoyment in all your life if you take it from the hand of God. Because if you look at chapter 2, God wasn't involved in any of those pursuits at all. He left God out of the equation and he just jumped in and he was God himself. Contentment, enjoyment, understanding of how pleasure and how projects, products, philosophy, performance, work, food, those all are given to us by God, but he defines where they are placed in our lives and what they are purposed for, and they are not to replace God. They're not. A week ago Friday, I sat in the jail. I'm a sheriff's chaplain. They called me in to visit with an inmate who is distraught, just got in. And for the last 40 years of his life, he has been pursuing all these things, trying to fill a void in his heart. And it keeps putting him back in the same place, in prison. And he just couldn't figure out why he could not find hope. It's because God didn't design all that to bring us contentment, satisfaction, joy, peace. I think Jesus... Captured it when this young lawyer came to him and said, Hey, what are the two greatest commandments? You know, chisel it down for us. And Jesus said this love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Start life there with God. And all you do, let Him put things in order. Then love your neighbor as yourself. Look beyond your own self. Because where was Solomon this whole time, right? Me, myself, and I. 27 times of I, 28 times of me and myself in 26 verses. And Jesus gives us the answer. Love God, love others. Let me conclude with this story. A month ago, I was having breakfast with another gentleman at New Hope. And we were just talking business. And he said, you know, when I was younger, I was in my office. It was about 830 at night. And I got a call from a client who's very wealthy. And I thought as a young man, I thought, oh, this guy will be impressed with me because it's 8.30 at night and I'm still in the office working hard. And so he said, I was talking to him about business stuff, but then I wanted to just engage him and get to know him a little bit. So I asked him, you know, well, what do you do for fun? Or, or what do you do for hobbies? And the man said, (laughs) you know, when you're as wealthy as I am, and you own as much as I do, there's no time for fun or hobbies. You work seven days a week. And the man told me, when he hung up the phone, he packed up his things and went home to his family. A lesson learned right there. What are you pursuing in your life that you think will satisfy you outside of God? What is false? What is your there that you think, man, once I get there, or oh, yeah, once I get there, because Solomon seems to answer that all for us of what the true there is. The true there is starting with Jesus and then letting him filter everything out and put it in its proper spot. So let's start there. Let me pray and we'll stand and close. Father God, your word is so relevant for today, for each one of us. And so I just ask your favor and your goodness here that we would listen to what we have heard and that we would apply it in your holy name. Amen.